Welcome to Diverse Joy, uh, a podcast where two so-called experts <laughs> put the joy back into diversity conversations. Right. My co-host is the amazing, wonderful, full of holiday spirit with her <laughs> awesome uh, sweater today, yes, yes. Dr. Amber Nelson. Thank you. And my co-host is the fabulous and Star Wars themed holiday sweater wearing Dr. Will Cox. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so, Amber. Mm. What is bringing you joy this holiday season? Oh my gosh, <laughs> it is holiday season. So I am, I, last time I was talking about my sweaters, it is definitely sweater weather and I've got all my sweaters out. But one of the, my favorite things to do at this time of year is watch all of the amazing holiday movies. Ooh. Like Amazing or terrible. I'm amazing, <laughs> just like my sweaters are festive and not ugly. They are amazing movies, <laughs> not terrible. Like all of the awesome, like Lifetime, ABC, like all of those like made for TV movies. So what other people would traditionally call terrible? Maybe other people would define them as terrible and they're all exactly the same. <laughs> every, every single one has the same theme. Talk about a lack of diversity. There's no plot. <laughs> there's, there's one plot it's that the they same all share. plot, but they are working on their diversity. It's just like, okay, this is a gay couple and this is a black couple, but it's the same story over and over and over again. And I love it. I don't. I don't care. I don't it's, care. No, it's great. I don't care joy. that it's com it's completely predictable. It's the same thing over and over again. It makes me happy, and I love doing my movie marathons and oh, all of the fun holiday movies. Uh, last year, did you see the uh, Lindsay Lohan of falling course, for Christmas? Of course I saw the Lindsay Lohan one. Oh, oh would I not? It's uh, amazing. So. Yeah, we watched that for our, our movie night. As you know, you, yes. you've been able to join us once or twice on our weekly movie night mm. that our producer, Eric Roman, and I host for our friends here in Madison. So fun. And, uh, yeah, we did the Lindsay Lohan falling for Christmas, yes. which is basically the old movie Overboard, yes. but Starring Lindsay Lohan. And in, in, she was hilarious. At a ski so chalet. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's that same plot. Yeah, it's the exact <laughs> all, same plot. Movie Just, yes. Added with her having amnesia. Uh -huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's the same story over and over again. And it's great. And there was, what's another one? So I'm not as into them as you are. Although now that I'm talking about them, I'm <laughs> You're like, actually, I do have them. Yeah. Uh, Single All the Way. Single All the Way is so, so that was, great. So that was the one with the two gay guys yes. who were like friends and roommates. Yes. And like end up, yeah. And it, that was cute. Um, oh my gosh, what's her name? Um, Jennifer oh no. Coolidge? Yes, Jennifer yeah. Coolidge. Yes. She's uh, amazing. I mean, I love Jennifer Coolidge. See, see, yeah. see what I'm saying. <laughs> it just brings so much joy. I, I don't like, even care. I feel like I, I love them too, but I just don't want to admit it. <laughs> see, you just have to embrace it. Embrace the camp, embrace the cheese, and just like lean all the way in. All right, so, all right. Christmas movies. Those okay. are, that's, that's definitely mine. Uh, how about you? Well, mine actually relates to movies, although it's not the kind of happy Christmas uh, <laughs> movies that, that you're talking about. We have a tradition with, with our friends here in Madison. Uh, every year we do what we call Krampus and Crafts. Ooh. So there's the kind of comedy horror Christmas movie, right. Krampus, starring Tony Collette. Okay. Uh, and I 
I didn't know I had Tony Collette in it. Yeah, yeah, she's the mom of the family. Adam Scott. Um, I was, I was. Adam Scott's in it. Too? Adam Scott's the I, father of the family. Okay. I was struggling to remember his name, and, yeah, and yeah. our wonderful producer could telepathically <laughs> tell that I wanted to say it because I love him too. Uh, yeah, Adam Scott and uh, Tony Collette are the parents of the family, and they're both hilarious. So where's the dog? I need to get Mary. Uh, it's it's in the kitchen. Help yourself. Oh, oh, oh I'm hey. sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Lord Almighty. Looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. And basically Krampus is, the their family's fighting and they've lost right. the Christmas spirit. So Krampus comes to teach them a lesson uh -huh. and all the like <laughs> Christmas uh, iconography comes to life. So right. the angel at the top of the tree turns into this really scary puppet. Oh gosh. Gingerbread <laughs> men come to life and are attacking people. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and like, it's, it's so corny. So, so, so much fun, but we watch it every year with our That's group amazing. of friends um, and do crafts. Uh, so one year we, you know, uh, had a bunch of paper and did, uh, you know, where you cut out, uh, snowflakes. Like snowflakes. Uh, yeah, yeah. One year we made wreaths. So, you know, they keep, oh, they give fun. you a frame that's like a big donut and you hot glue yeah. ornaments on it to make a big wreath. Sometimes our, our friends bring- hot glue donuts on it? Sorry. It's like a metal donut. Oh, so it's a gotcha. wreath shape. Okay, got it. And okay. then you hot glue okay. ornaments. Wreath <laughs> 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 shape. Fine, it's a wreath shape. I'm sorry. Shape. Wait, what? Sorry. Where does donuts fit into this? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm hungry. <laughs> we'll get some donuts on the break. There <laughs> um, but uh and we made you know these these cool wreaths uh and sometimes uh so our friend jack uh who you've met it was mm -hmm. lots of fun he uh, he has been knitting one scarf for at least five years oh wow and i think that was we've done Krampus and crafts for five years and but he was knitting even before adding, that every year it's like he gets yes. two lines on the I scarf while we watch the movie <laughs> and then we always pair it with some second uh, horror comedy Christmassy movie. Okay. So uh, I always look forward to that every That's year so around fun. this time. So I've never seen Krampus, so maybe I will attempt. I'm I get scared very easily, um, and so I have not like attempted to watch that yet. But I don't if, think if it's, it's a comedy horror. Yeah. Maybe I can handle it. Like I don't think there's maybe. A, there's nothing that'll really give you nightmares. Okay. I don't think it's silly enough. <laughs> As long as it's got a long, as long as it's got you know a comedic edge, I can usually handle it. But like the characters in the movie are scared, but I don't mm -hmm. think even if you were watching it alone in the dark right. at home, <laughs> I don't think there's anything in it that is like, serious enough to scare to, you. All right, again, all right, it's fair enough. the Christmas angel from the top of the tree. Right. Okay. Like. Okay. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But but yeah, that's so fun. What a great tradition. I love that. I love okay. that. Yeah. You were going to take the lead on our main topic today. Yeah. Uh, so there are some common terms mm -hmm. that uh, exist kind of out in the broader realm of uh, DEI trainings, yep. or as we like to call it, Jedi, Jedi. work. Mm -hmm. uh, so cultural humility and cultural responsiveness. Mm. They're, they're kind of buzz terms that I, I hear get tossed out a lot. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what, what are those? Sure. Uh, why are they important? Um, and I'll I'll listen and learn and also maybe <laughs> share some of my own reflections as I hear what, what you have to say. For sure. Well, I think before we even get to cultural humility and cultural responsiveness is starting with cultural competence, right? Like cultural competence mm -hmm. is the term that we hear most often. Um, and it's one that still is around in the zeitgeist and a lot of those 
trainings that we've talked about, the ones that maybe are not as great, um, tend to lean more into cultural competence. And the idea of cultural competence is saying, like, here is the minimum standard of what you need to know. And once you have that, then you're good, right? But sometimes it's like, uh, so last month we were talking with Sandy off the air, they shared a story of like cultural competence, which is like, oh, if it's people from this country, talk to them this way. Exactly. And like saying, all people are going to be like this. Basically teaching them more stereotypes. Exactly. Yes. Here's how you work with Asian people. Here's how you work with African-Americans. Here's how you work with. Exactly. And so it's very much reinforcing stereotypes. It tells you if you, again, if you know this much, then you're good. You've met competency and you don't have to learn anymore. At least or at least that's what is communicated, whether or not that's the intent that's kind of what's that's what people hear from and that's it. what they hear from it exactly. and that relates to why we t- talk about ourselves as so-called experts right because it's the idea that you know you're never reaching the point where you're done mm-hmm. right like like maybe you're doing well and keeping things going but there's always right. other stuff to learn exactly and part of it is about having the skills to be open to learning more things right. and recognizing that what you know isn't going to cover everything in every situation absolutely with all the diverse people in the world. Right. <laughs> Which really is what cultural humility is, right? Uh, so cultural oh, uh, right, right? <laughs> Which is basically what cultural humility is, is saying, um, you know, and, and from a clinical perspective, is saying like, I, you are the expert of your experience, your yeah. life experience, your culture. And I am going to sit in a space of, humility or being humble and saying like, I'm always going, there's always more to learn. Um, I am not going to be the expert of your experience, even as a, as a clinical psychologist, right? Like I can sit in that space and say, even though you're coming to me as the expert, as the person or the professional to work with you, you know, your life better than I ever could. You know, Mm. your cultural experience better than I ever could. Um, And we talked a little bit before about, you know, folks are not a monolith, right? So even if there is specific information about um, cultures that we should know, like if you're interacting with a black person, maybe like don't use the N word, right? Like that's something that we should know. (laughs) And not to like sit so far back that you pretend you don't know things about certain cultures, but to say like, here's some general knowledge that I have about certain cultures. How much of that fits for you? How much of it doesn't fit for you? Right. This person is the again, the expert of their experience and their how much they're tied to their culture and not. Right. Okay, so so that that makes a lot of sense to me Mm -hmm. and and, and matches how I think about approaching some of these things. And just from the scientific, like the scientific bias and stereotyping literature, literature, we don't have that term as much. But actually, as you as you're describing this, this is that's fundamentally how I approach the bias training. Exactly. Not not just in terms of you know you as someone receiving the training aren't going to un- know culture of everyone you encounter. But when I come into a company right. or uh, an academic department, exactly. I don't know the day-to-day of their the culture. culture of that space. I don't yeah, know what exactly. their job looks like. Like, exactly. like when I talk to lawyers, I'm like, I don't know what it is to be a lawyer. Right. <laughs> I don't know what it is <laughs> right. to be a medical doctor. Exactly. Where my expertise is, this is yeah. how your brain works. This yep. is how stereotypes can get in the way. Yep. Here are skills I can give you. Right. And it's always about helping them to identify, exactly. here's where this can can apply. And I think that's part of why the training has been really effective because 
some of the bad trainings. Mm -hmm. Again, mm -hmm. um, you have this outside person who comes in and acts like they know everything right. about financial planning or right. whatever the target organization right. is. And then the people who live it every day, they're like, who the heck do you think you are exactly. coming in and telling me how to do my job or <laughs> right. what it's like to do my job? And that's something that, that I've worked very hard to make sure that our training doesn't do that. It's right. nope. We're giving you tools to identify areas that you can work on and and so on, but not giving you the answers. Exactly. And so and Matt, again, I, oh, that's I love how this difference. all clicks. Yeah. And that's exactly <laughs> the difference between cultural competence, which is here's what to do. Here's okay. here's the check boxes versus humility, which is saying like, I'm giving you a framework, right? I'm giving you a framework that you can then flexibly use. There's this term called dynamic sizing, which was actually come came out of more like hard science, I mean, quote unquote hard sciences, like mm -hmm. um, chemistry and biology and a few other, other spaces. Um, but it's been adopted into some of the social sciences as saying like, I can have this understanding, maybe a cultural, some cultural knowledge or content knowledge, and then learn to flexibly generalize, right? Like, again, asking those questions, where yeah. does this fit? Where does it not fit? Right. And so there's this dynamic sizing of saying like, this piece fits for you. This piece doesn't fit for you, but you're also yeah. the one telling me this. I'm not telling you what does and doesn't fit. Right. And so there's this idea of this dynamic sizing. And I think that that is this the idea of the framework that you really used from a humble perspective huh. is saying yeah. like, here is, here are some skills and you're going to figure out when and where and how to use these things. Right. Huh. Um, and again, that's just, it's also grounded in the idea of that we are lifelong learners, right. That we just have, yeah. even having these skills, we don't just stop at like, challenging ourselves once and like, okay, I've got it, but like, I'm going to continue to challenge myself. And even when we think that like, okay, I'm getting much better at using pronouns or, you know, whatever that might be that you might encounter a new situation or a new environment or a new person that challenges you in a different way. And that we're committing to ongoing self-assessment. And as you practice that over time, as we like to say, practice makes progress. Exactly. And it gets easier over time. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's you know, sometimes when people hear some of what we talk about of uh, ongoing learning and, right. you know, it's never done, they, they start feeling overwhelmed yeah, and they're just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so I just got to watch my back all the time. No, it's it's right. always going to be work. Like, yeah. this sounds terrible. Yeah. And it's like, actually, no, it really gets easier. You, yeah. you get some foundational things in place. Absolutely. And while you're continuing to... I'm now going to use this term more often, mm -hmm. uh, have this cultural humility. Yeah. It's just recognizing, hey, I don't know everything. Right, which exactly. Which we would all do well to learn in most angles of our life. 100%. <laughs> and it's, I think it's also giving yourself the grace to know that, like, again, that you're not perfect and you're never going to be perfect, right? And so it's committing to an imperfect process and just recognizing I'm going to make mistakes this is, it's not always going to be pretty. <laughs> I'm going to be learning new things. I'm going to stumble. But if I'm committing to the process, I'm also committing to recovering and doing reparative work when a mistake or when something does happen. Is that right? the cultural responsiveness? And that's the, the cultural other topic? responsiveness. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I kind of have this like model in my mind of how 
in how do we how we do kind of this work well. And so the first part is the self-assessment, right? And the commitment to learning. So like, where am I? What, where are the areas that I am really struggling um, or that are difficult or that I'm activated by? And then going into, okay, how do I commit myself to this lifelong learning? How do I commit to being humble. And then um, the biggest thing for me is that we don't just stay in humility um, and saying like, okay, you're the expert. I'm going to dynamically size and just like sit back and just do my own internal stuff. I have to also then commit to doing something. And that's where the cultural responsiveness is. The cultural responsiveness is saying like, I am now going to actively do something different than I was doing before. This is where your skills comes in, right? Like, the skills are saying, okay, I have these frameworks. I understand what's happening in my mind, where this is coming from. Now I have the skills to now do something different. So I'm actually changing my behavior. Because if we just stay in humility, then we're not actually doing anything different. Maybe I might be thinking differently, but my operation, how I'm operationalizing it or my day-to-day activities don't look any different than what they did before. And so we have to then commit to changing, right? And to actually doing something different. And that's where cultural responsiveness comes in, at least from my perspective. That's oh, how I understand I, it. I like it. I like yeah. It. And yeah. Then there's two other pieces too for me. Um, so again, there's a self-assessment, cultural humility, cultural responsiveness. And then for me, it's also about um, contextualizing. And again, that's kind of like what dynamic sizing is, is saying like, if you're going into a new system, learning about that system and like what part, how does the system operate? um, And what are the tenants? What are the things that go into this? And how do we contextualize and make sense? How do I interact with the system and the system interact with me? And then the last, the very last thing I go into is justice and advocacy. And advocacy specifically um, is not only am I personally doing something different about my behaviors, but I'm also taking on action to say like, I'm going to try to change the system as well, cool. right? Like yeah, I want to sh- shift how our systems are operating. Well, and that's that's what our nonprofit is all about, right? right. That's why it's called Inequity Agents of Change. Exactly. So you're talking about being an agent being of change. Being an agent of change, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So uh, let's go out of order a little bit today yeah. because you just touched on what our question was yeah, going to be yeah, later. Yeah. Uh, so so th- this question is a little bit for me, um, mm. and uh, I don't want to be too facetious. <laughs> like I, I, I know the academic answer to this question. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I am bringing it forward as a question because I think it would be good to hear you talk about it because I love your perspective and approach (laughs) and expertise on things even even though we want to have the cultural humility (laughs) to know that we're never true finished experts. experts. Yes, exactly. Uh, But, so the question, so so we've talked, we we love our, our Fun joke and not joke of saying we do Jedi, Jedi work. work, and I'm yeah. wearing a Jedi mm-hmm. Christmas yes, or holiday are. sweater, yeah. so uh, yeah. <laughs> also on theme. It's on theme, um, right. <laughs> but Jedi being justice, yes. equity, diversity, and inclusion. Yeah. Now, when it comes to equity, diversity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. and bias, which mm-hmm. is is my other kind of central thing. Yeah. Those, from a scientific perspective, have very right. clear definitions yeah. of what what diversity is. You know, the representation of different yeah. viewpoints and and what is actually on the table? Is everyone the same or are they not? Are they diverse? Bias, we have formal definitions for equity and and inclusion. They're they're things that are, I I think, clearly defined measurable in a 
scientific way. From a scientific perspective. Um, Justice, I feel like, is more conceptual. Yes. um, And more... Uh, in the advocacy realm, right? Uh, and so, so the question: What is justice? What, what is do justice? we mean by yeah. justice? Uh, I think that's a really good question, and you're right; it is much more conceptual. And I think that you probably would find s- probably several different operational definitions. We should have the humility to recognize our definition. Exactly, our <laughs> definition may not be the same as everybody else's, and I, you know, I really think about it from a specifically social justice standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it goes hand in hand with advocacy. Um, and again, it moves towards saying like, okay, we can strive for um, equity and meaning that everybody is getting not equal, but equitable opportunities. We can strive to increase increase our diversity and representation. We can also increase um, and, and inclusion, right? Which gets a little bit more into the sense of belonging. Um, but if we do not do anything to change the systems in which we operate, having diversity, having equity, inclusion, those things are not going to, one, they're not going to um, have the impact that it needs to have. And so it's it's this acknowledgement and recognition that many of our systems are very colonized, right? They have a very specific um, framework and doing those things kind of are like, additive versus restructuring and really saying like let's time let's time for us to do some justice work and advocacy to say like let's let's not just include people let's actually do something different so that their voices have hold weight that it changes how we do things how we operate that we're humble as a system humble enough to say like this way of doing things doesn't work for everybody and so it's really causing us to say like what does it look like on a much larger scale than even just on a one-to-one basis if i i don't know if i'm i'm adding or maybe just repeating what you're saying in a slightly different way but so would another way of putting it being justice is kind of recognizing the way the world has been set up to create the inequities in the first place and the lack of inclusion in the first place. And it's kind of this philosophical idea of, look, we're looking at where we've come from and how we want to keep moving it forward and updating. Absolutely. Um, And so, because kind of as you defined it, you said all those other words we Mm -hmm. like to talk about, Mm -hmm. equity, diversity, inclusion, Mm -hmm. bias. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, so it's this broader philosophy over... Yeah. Cool. Well, and and I mean, in my like uh, bio that people read when I come and give (laughs) talks, you know, Mm -hmm. I, my, my uh, self-label is scientist practitioner of social justice. Yeah, exactly. And so now I'm even happier thinking of, of the more (laughs) precise definition of that. Like I know what social justice is and I I see that in my, in my work, but Mm -hmm. then yeah, thinking through this in a more formal way yeah, exactly. from, from different traditions than I'm I'm fully versed in. Right. I, I appreciate that. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, of course. So yeah, let's take a little break. Um and uh we'll be right back. All right. Well, welcome back from our break. Um, so normally we would be doing story time, um, but we're going to kind of switch things up a little bit today yeah. because we're going to go we're going to go into our skill. And it sounds like you've got a couple of stories that are that 
really exemplify what you're talking about. So we're yeah. just going to kind of mix the two together and kind of embed them. Yeah. So why don't you tell us what our skill is and what we're talking about today? Awesome. Well, today our skill, it's one of those those tools that you can work on to apply to keep helping reduce the likelihood of bias in your judgments and behaviors yeah. and so on. Um, and th this tool is called Considering Situational Explanations for Behavior. Mm. Um, and to, to fully explain, I have to give you a little mi mini uh, social psych lecture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, basically, you know, as humans, we're very curious creatures and, and we like to explain why other people do the things they do. Right. So when we see someone engaged in a behavior, we start coming up with reasons why they behaved that way. Mm. So for instance, uh, in a school kind of context, let's say there's a student and he fails a test. Right. Uh, what's good. Why did he fail the test? Well, mm. we're going to come up with ideas like, well, he's probably not very smart. Right. Probably didn't study. That's why people fail tests, right? Cause right. they're, they're not smart. They're not very smart. Yeah. Um, but, but actually if we step back, mm -hmm. we can think of aspects of the situation, uh, yeah. rather than the person, right. the aspects of the situation that might've influenced the behavior. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, if he's a college student, maybe he had a roommate who was playing music till late in the night. So he didn't right. get enough sleep, couldn't right. concentrate on the test. Maybe he had a family member who was really sick and maybe passing away and right. he was really distracted by that. And right. that's why, why he failed the test. Mm -hmm. Those both situational and personal kinds of reasons influence what we do every single day. Right. But when it comes to other people, we tend to discount those situational reasons. We tend to mm -hmm. not even think of them. Um, and, and what this tool involves is just kind of working on actively bringing in the idea of considering situational explanations yeah. for someone's behavior. It's not that we're making excuses for him. So if we're the student's professor, we're not just saying, well, oh, well, maybe something else happened. So we'll just throw out that test score. We're, it's, it's not making excuses, but it's just recognizing you don't really know what was going on. Exactly. And that stops us from jumping to conclusions, from making snap judgments. Mm. This is especially important when we're talking about someone who's a member of a stereotype group. Right. So if it's a white student who failed the test, we're already going to be kind of jumping towards the, oh, he's not smart. He didn't study. Right. Uh, but that, that's just going to be the general tendency. But if it's a, a black or a brown student, right. we'll have that general tendency that we already would have for a white student, but also the stereotypes about black and brown students. Exactly. They also say not smart, right. lazy, and so on. Right. So it research shows we're even more likely to jump to those conclusions that mm. disfavor members of stereotyped groups. Mm. Mm -hmm. So so that's that's the core skill. Yeah. Um, and and that's something that we work on. Uh, work on doing, it, it's useful for, for everyone for all of your kind 100%. of interactions with yeah. other people. Well, um, I, you know, when part of that please. too, like for me is, you know, when we're talking about that is, I remember I mentioned contextualizing is very much that, right? Is saying like, I'm going to put this person in context and not mm -hmm. just apply um, what... Um, I don't always say her name correctly, but Chimamanda Ngozi she talks about a single story, right? Like yeah. single stories or stereotypes of, of people, groups or individuals. Yeah. So instead of applying the single story to an individual, we're contextualizing oh, them. Absolutely. We're putting them into, we're taking perspective, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we're saying like... It's easy for our brain to just jump to, oh, well, they're this, therefore it's reinforcing this like other narrative that we have of folks versus saying like, let's take some perspective and think about what else might be contributing to them having failed their test. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, also in kind of therapy and, and kind of clinical realms, uh, 
Oh, I'm going to get some of my terminology wrong here, <laughs> but I think attribution theory is uh-huh. right. Yep. So we talk about making internal, stable, global attributions. Exactly. That's something that often contributes to anxiety and depressive yep. disorders. Where so internal is the what I was calling personal versus situational. Yep. So you can make an attribution for yourself or for other people mm-hmm. that's either internal about the self, right, or external situational, right, and then the stable or what's the what's the other pole oh no variable or stable meaning it will last over time uh-huh. mm-hmm. or uh flexible <laughs> variables mm-hmm. oh no mm-hmm. oh um <laughs> Or global, like it's about all aspects all of, of your being mm. versus specific. Mm. I at least have the two poles of that, <laughs> which is like, no, maybe it was this situation, this mm-hmm. particular aspect of yourself. Mm. Um, but but we're better served by not making those kinds of internal, stable, global attributions, right. which is a just a, a greater depth of this kind of work on thinking about the situation. Right. Uh, not having one story. I love right. that, that characterization. Story, yeah. And speaking of stories, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yes. did you have more of the, uh, on the kind of core of the skill before I add the stories? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, like I said, for, for from a clinical perspective, um, it is, is so important, um, to consider again those contextual factors those like what else is contributing to what's going on for both both for yourself right like even in in practicing these skills of saying like there are lots of reasons that this might be coming up for you, right? Yeah. Um, and even to give yourself the grace and contextualize yourself. For instance, I was I was talking to this person the other day who, you know, he's his partner is black. He's you know has lots of interactions with people of color and things like this, and um, and he had this experience. He worked at a bank and got. Um, got held up and the person was wearing a hoodie. They weren't a person of color, but they were wearing a hoodie and they were doing these things. And now all of a sudden, every time he comes across somebody that's doing this, like he has these reactions. And for our audio listeners, when you say doing this, Oh, putting, putting the head, putting a hoodie hoodie up, up, kind uh, of like, like glasses on things like that. And so, um, he had this experience at work where somebody else came in and they happened to be a person of color and they had their hoodie up and they had glasses on. And all of a sudden he had all of these reactions. Right. And so somebody else called him out on it and they're like, you're just being racist. And he was like, I don't, I didn't think I was racist. And I was like, but we have to contextualize, right? Like you, yes, this person was a person of color. Yes. There's, I can see all of these factors as to why somebody else might be uh, perceiving that. And it might be operationalizing this way, but we have to contextualize that you were also just held up by somebody who was wearing their hood and was wearing glasses. And so that had all of these other things that were impacting all these other visual cues that weren't, wasn't actually about the person's skin color, but all of these other behavioral attributions that then now made you respond in a way that you never would have. Right. And so there's a piece of giving yourself grace and understanding what what is contributing to your behavior in that moment? Oh, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Wrapping the, the core part of the skill, and then I'll get to these stories, which actually tie into the skill. 
Um, so yeah, this idea considering situational explanations for, for behavior, it's a very cognitive tool that yep. we can use. Um, and research has shown it to be effective at reducing the likelihood of stereotyping, right. reducing that likelihood of these gut snap judgments that, that very often reflect stereotypes. Um, so it's, it's something that if you work on rehearsing it, it makes you less likely to engage in stereotyping over time and helps reduce bias. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, our stories today, uh, they, they kind of are both, each of them is both positive and negative. It has the, the negative and then it ends in a positive place. Awesome. Uh, so, and they both tie into this considering situational explanations for behavior. So they actually, uh, they both come from, from delivering the bias habit breaking training over the years. The first one actually I, is a story I borrowed from uh, my good friend and, and collaborator, Trish Devine, who, yes. with whom we started the whole bias habit breaking yep. Yep. stuff. Um, so she was giving the training once uh, with a bunch of uh, community college professors. Mm. As uh, she was explaining uh, the same story I told before about imagining, you know, a black student failing right. a test. Right. Uh, there was a teacher in the back of the room who audibly swore. Wow. <laughs> she was like, oh, shit. And and it was kind of jarring. So yeah. Trish was like, um, uh, would, "Is there something you would like to share with the class?" Like to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and what the teacher realized, like right there in the moment, was mm. historically going back. Uh, if if ever she had a student who didn't turn in a test or maybe came late to class, uh, she reacted differently based on whether it was a black student or a brown student mm. or a white student. If it was a white student, she would go and chit chat with them like, hey, why didn't you turn in that assignment? Yeah. Like, did you not understand it? Why were you late to class? Did yeah. you miss your bus? Yeah. Basically giving them the opportunity to explain, to explain. their situations, yeah. the situational explanations. Yeah. And if it was her black or brown students, she jumped to that conclusion. Mm. Like, nope, they don't care. They don't care. They don't mm. They're not invested. Yeah. They don't care about school mm. and, and all of that. And didn't even talk to them about, wow. about the issues. And and just in the moment, she was horrified oh my gosh, yeah. that she had been doing this. And this is mm. part of this being unintentional. Like, yeah. like this, I imagine, is a teacher who really saw herself as wanting everyone to succeed and all of that. But she realized, well, shit, I've yeah. been disadvantaging I've been my black and brown this, yeah. students. Um, and so from that day forward, I am pretty sure that she started applying this tool and being very was, intentional about that. Yeah, yeah. Asking about the situation, making sure that, that she of did who that. It is. Yeah. So so that's the first story. That's huge. Yeah. Uh one other came from um, me delivering this training uh, sometime last year. And it was over Zoom. Um, and one of the attendees, as as I was in this particular section of the training where I'm talking about situational explanations mm -hmm. for behavior, uh, she gets a text message from mm. one of her employees mm. and he's saying he's going to be late to work that day mm. and the way she described it this is she sent me an email a few weeks later explaining all of this she was like as soon as I saw that text I started getting hot under the collar yeah. I just started getting so irritated mm. I was mad at this guy I was like he doesn't respect me he doesn't take his job seriously and, right. like, yeah. and, and getting all aggravated meanwhile I'm saying like think about think aspects about of the situation don't jump to conclusions yeah, yeah. you don't know and uh, and and she the way she describes it, she was like, "Your voice kind of got through my angry fog." <laughs> just, just hear Will's voice seeping yeah. in, <laughs> and she was like, "Well, okay, let, let me do this. Why might he be late to work right. today? Maybe mm. his car broke down, and he right. had to get that handled and get his car off the road, and then yeah. figure out how to get here by bus, and that right. was going to make him late." Yeah. 
maybe his childcare fell through mm. and he had to get someone to watch his kids so that mm-hmm. he could come to work. And that was just going to take some time f- to, to figure all that out. Mm-hmm. And that's why he would be late to work. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she described it. She was like, you know, she had been saying she was hot under the collar. She said, I physically felt myself cooling oh, off, God. having mm-hmm. more compassion for what could be going on. Right. Uh, and, and, and so on. And, but by the time she wrote me this email, uh, she said that her relationship with that employee had completely changed wow. in the following weeks because of doing this exercise kind of once and yeah. and, and all that. Yeah. Um, and so so I, I thought that was a, a, a nice spot. Again, both kind of started negative. There was something bad right, happening. Right, right, right. But got to a positive place where yeah. using this tool helped these folks and kind of changed something that they did in, a, so good. in a positive way. It's so interesting because as – you know, in my own reflection as a person of color, um, I I recognize that in this work and in what I do, I even internalize that for myself. Like, okay, I instead of allowing somebody else to try to project their the, their attributions on me, I am going to give them. I'm going to give them all the information. So if I'm late or if something's I'm going to make it very clear why, what oh, was yeah. happening, right? And so, like, even for my own self or for folks as particularly as marginalized folks, but not only for anybody, to help mitigate some of those in allowing somebody else to kind of attribute their own, you know, uh, stuff onto you, that you have the opportunity to also just like, okay, I'm going to give every give all of the information so that somebody doesn't project onto it. Um, Audre Lorde has this quote that she says, um, if I did not define myself for myself, then I'd be crunched into other people's perceptions of me and eaten alive. And I think about that all the time. That's exactly what you're talking about. Like when when you are not self-defined, if you are not like doing those things, somebody else is putting their own, they're projecting onto you everything that you're doing. And often you are the one that suffers from that. Right. Yeah. And so like, what does it mean on both ends for us to take on um, when we're working with other people or we're perceiving other people to make sure that we're not projecting onto them and we're thinking about situations and contextualizing them, but also for our own selves, right? To mitigate some of those experiences, how do I also contextualize myself, situation, situationalize myself, if that's a word I don't think it is, but situationalize myself. Explain for, the explain your situation. Exactly. So that they don't make personal attributions about right. you as a person. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And those are great. Those are really great stories. Oh, yeah. 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 Super and, helpful. Uh, you know, so one of the things that's very rewarding about the work I do giving the training is seeing people actually applying what we teach them. Because yeah. you don't always get to see that. Like teaching classes at a university, right. it's like, well, hopefully, you know, something we, we taught them sticks. Sticks, yeah. Uh, yeah. Although, although you teach uh, students who are getting their PhDs in clinical yeah. work, so they're going to yeah. go on and do therapy because you taught them. Yes. But sometimes with undergraduate classes, it's like, I really hope all this stuff I'm teaching them sticks. sticks but, yeah. but with the bias habit-breaking training, mm-hmm. it's all just so practice-focused. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love when people write in and tell me yeah, that tell uh, what what they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, if you're listening to the podcast and have applied anything we've talked about over these Let many episodes, yeah. please please write in. Yeah, um, awesome. So uh, we always like to end uh, mm-hmm. with a recommendation of yep. some kind of media, something that brings us joy yes. that we think will will bring our listeners joy as well. Yes. Uh, 
and and we and we like to to talk about that. So uh, you have a recommendation for us. I do. So one of my favorite shows is well, first of all, I love drag. Um, it's one of my favorite. <laughs> We've talked about it forms. almost every episode, I know, one way like, or another. I really, so I think we know. You you're like, like I think we know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> drag is like yes. I I'm, I've always been into drag even since I was really young. Um, to Wong Fu, this movie um, that was my first like introduction. I love it. But Which is not your recommendation. It's but not it's my recommendation, <laughs> but it's another one. If you happen to like Patrick Swayze, oh, it's just so good. John uh, Leguizamo. Oh my gosh, so good. And Wesley Snipes. The show that I am recommending is called We're Here. And it is three drag queens, Eureka, San- Shangela, and Bob the Drag Queen. And they, it's kind of like a mix of, it's drag and like Queer Eye. <laughs> like if you were to combine those things together, um, it's kind of what it is. And these three drag queens go all over the country, often to small towns. And they give a drag makeover to somebody in the community. Sometimes it's, um, you know, there was one that was a pastor, a mayor, um, just people that like have very small, um, like uh, small towns, small towns or small gay communities. And like they go and like help them just be supported and empowered and like to connect to the community and to bring awareness. And then they, at the end of the week, they do a big drag show with their Ooh. like drag babies that they've just like <laughs> created. And it's just, it's so heartwarming and it's often highlights like just their pers- personal stories. And there was like a mom that was trying to, um, you know, she was really working on repairing a relationship with their child. And um, it's just it's just really beautiful Um, and it's drag and it's heartwarming and all of the things. So definitely check it out. I think you can get it on (laughs) H. It's on it streams um, on on HBO or Max Max HBO Max. Um, Yeah, it was HBO Max. I think now they're just calling it Max. Max, Okay, but I don't see how it's different (laughs) other than the name. Yeah, but HBO HBO (laughs) whatever HBO HBO and I definitely recommend it. So. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I I think in the very first episode when we were defining this idea of diverse joy, we yeah. brought up drag queens as an example because yes. of these oh, that's right. attacks yep. and laws yep. against drag queens. Right. When like, really it's just such the definition. It's purely for fun. It's purely for joy. For entertainment. I mean, for joy. For sometimes for uh, subverting social norms or for something. Sure. There, there are, I don't want to minimize it, but absolutely, but it's a absolutely. it's such a joyful thing, which is why it's silly that some yes. people get up in arms about it absolutely yeah um yeah awesome well uh <laughs> i am dr william cox and i'm dr amber nelson produced by my lovely fiance eric Ooh. roman binding with music by jay arner diverse joy is consumable as either an audio only podcast or a video podcast both accessible at diversejoy.com diverse joy is the official podcast of inequity agents of change a nonprofit devoted to the dissemination of evidence-based approaches to reduce bias create inclusion promote equity and enhance diversity Ooh. all that good jedi work jedi Learn more at bias.habit.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Just in case the microphones are picking it up, I want to <laughs> apologize for if you hear any little dog whines in the background. <laughs> uh, uh, our sweet boy Ezra has a friend over, his, <laughs> his cousin Archie, who's visiting from out of town and isn't as as silent and well-behaved of a little boy. <laughs> um, 